Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there, Crispy. So, uh, what do you want to talk about today? Today, I want to talk about um, flying. Okay. You know, uh, we, we did our podcast about cell phone safety and whether or not it was uh, safe to actually have a cell phone working on a plane. And then it occurred to us that there's a lot of really cool technology that uh, planes use to not only take flight, but to get around to where they're going. And we kind of wanted to touch on some of the systems. Now, granted, a a, a really detailed discussion about airplane technology would probably take hours and hours. So, again, this is going to be an overview. But we're going to hit some of the uh, the cool technology that uh, gets you to where you're going when you're taking flight. Yeah, some of it's really, really complicated. Other parts of it are just plain simple. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, all right. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and get started. Did you have something in mind to start with? I was going to talk about sensors first. Okay, sure. Because uh, sensors, you know, this is, of course, this is all, these are all the systems on the plane that tell it where it is, how fast it's moving, what's its relationship with other stuff that's in the area. And it's all obviously very important for the safety of the plane and for navigational purposes. Yep. Okay. And there are tons of different kinds of sensors that we can talk about. But in general, the ones that, uh, that are pretty much standard across pretty much any plane of significance would be uh, you'd have to have something that keeps time. Right. <laughs> so a clock of some sort. Okay. Um, you, a chronological device? Yes, a, a chronological device. An altimeter, mm-hmm. which uh, in general uses uh, measures pr- air pressure and determines how, um, how high up you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that can, uh, can detect and measure airspeed. Um, and def- accelerometers, uh, both for uh, vertical acceleration and horizontal. Mm-hmm. Um, a compass of some sort, mm-hmm. so magnetic heading. Uh, you would need some sensors that would be able to uh, indicate where the controls are. I mean, right. like w- what setting they are in, obviously. Um, fuel sensors, that kind of thing. Uh, stabilizers. Um, all these sensors are very, very important so that the pilot can make sure that everything is is uh, as it should be and or make adjustments if things aren't quite right. And... Um, the, also, the equipment that needed to judge the state of the aircraft, like where the flaps are and yes, the, yes. The, uh, the wheels and all the other things that need to move, how much gas is in the tank. Yeah, gas, all these sorry, things. Jet fuel. Jet fuel, yeah. Well, you know, we can simplify a little bit. I think I think we'll only get maybe 10 or 15 listener mails if we do that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, all of this information gets fed uh, to a, a flight data recorder as well as to the instruments on the pilot's console. And the flight data recorder is very important in the case of uh, something unusual happening, whether it ends up being an actual accident, which, you know, hopefully that's not the case, or if just something is not quite right and then they need to review it at the end of the flight. Um, and the flight data recorder is located along with the cockpit voice recorder in um, – in spe- a special kind of casing. Yep. 
And there's a very common term for this kind of casing. It's actually a very deceptive term <laughs> considering what it looks like. <laughs> a really sturdy box? Well, it's called usually a black box. Even though they're not black? Right. They're not black and they don't really look like boxes necessarily. Yeah. They're usually bright orange huh. um, because it makes it easier to spot if, again, the unfortunate conclusion of a wreck occurs. If you've got a lot of wreckage, bright orange container stands out. Right. Stands out. Black, not so much, especially if there's been fire damage. So the black box, as they're known, um, they shield the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder. Actually, there's often two different ones, uh, one for each. And they're most often in the very back of the plane, in the tail of the plane, because that's going to be the area of the plane that suffers the least damage in case of an impact in most cases. Yep. And um, actually, the information that goes to these machines is collected by the Flight Data Acquisition Unit, which basically mm-hmm. is a go-between uh, for the sensors and the uh, the black boxen. I'm still making a case that boxen should be the plural for box. Uh, well, I mean, you got good luck with that. Uh, anyhow, um, they be- basically have two separate uh, uh, responsibilities. The um, uh, the cockpit voice recorder is used to record the voices in the cockpit. You don't say. <sighs> I do say. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, basically all the all the uh, communications in the cat and you know in the actual cockpit itself between the uh, pilot. And uh, anybody else who happens to be in there. Right, the co-pilot and maybe another any, – anyone else who actually is in the, the cockpit. Sometimes there are three yeah. officers in the cockpit or um, – and usually uh, they – it's taking taking a sound from the microphones that are located in the pilot's headset, the co-pilot's headset. There's usually also a another microphone that's in the cockpit itself. It's not connected to a headset. It's just there to pick up any other sounds. And it, it might picks hear up, warnings, for example. Right. Yeah. And it'll pick up like if there's a loud thud or something along those lines. I mean, it'll that'll help uh, people figure out what happened after the event. So, um, yeah, uh, it. Everything that that goes on in the cockpit's recorded there. Now, what's interesting is that uh, it doesn't keep all that information forever. Nope. It actually, uh, depending on the the media upon which the voices are recorded, it'll keep that for between thirty minutes and two hours. Yeah, and and in most cases now, I think uh, most of them have used uh, solid state te- solid state technology. Can I not say that right more times? <laughs> um, basically, so, they used to use reel to reel tapes, magnetic yeah, tape, right? Um, you know, which has a finite beginning and end. Uh, the uh, solid state flash type memory uh, has the ability to you know keep erasing, and um, you know it's also got the advantage of not having as many moving parts. Right. Yeah. It's it um, also not. Uh, yeah. It's not as vulnerable to damage as the magnetic tape is necessarily. Yeah. I mean, and um, it can hold a lot more information, too, in a in a in the same physical amount of space. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, up to two hours, maybe even more than that, actually. The, the, the latest I saw was two hours. But I'm guessing that, you know, with the way that that solid state drives have have advanced over the last few years, I bet it's even higher than that now. But the idea being that it after it, the reason why it would record over after the last couple of hours is the only reason you would need to review this in the first place is if there was a catastrophic accident. And the chances mm-hmm. are that anything that would really indicate a problem would have occurred half an hour or closer to the actual event. You're not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to 
you know, any, any problem that's that serious that's detected earlier would probably result in an emergency landing. Right. Unless, of course, you were maybe over a huge body of water and couldn't do that. Right, right. So that's the reason for the, uh, you know, that's why you're not too concerned over the fact that it's going to record over the previous, you know, recording. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the flight data recorder, that's very important as well because it'll record all the conditions that were, uh, that were leading up to the incident and then, of course, everything thereafter. And that gives investigators a chance to really determine what it was that caused the problem in the first place. And, uh, I mean, that's important. You know, if it's a manufacturing error, then obviously that's something you have to address because what if that affects everything else in the fleet of, of, uh, planes or everything that's, you know, of that same designation? Right. I mean, this is, um, it's going to track all kinds of information about the aircraft, uh, you know, including, uh, stuff that I said before about, the flaps, the positions of the flaps and, and things like that, airspeed, um, and based on the conditions and, uh, you know, maybe the weather conditions in the area and anything that the, uh, pilot might have said, uh, they can sort of piece together what may have happened in the event of an accident. Right. Yeah. And there, there are plenty of transcripts out there from, that were taken from black box recordings. And, uh, I tried reading a few of them and after a couple, I'm like, I can't read any more of these. Yeah. It's a little too intense for me. Um, yeah. You might wonder what are these these black boxes made of? These black boxes that are neither black nor boxes. Right. Um, well, you've got an aluminum housing mm-hmm. that surrounds the the sensitive equipment. Then you have uh, you have some insulation that goes around that because, of course, if there if is a, a fire, fire right? Yeah. And jet fuel burns pretty hot. Yes. So you have to have something that can withstand intense heat and protect the electronics inside it, so that people. When they recover, the electronics can figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then around that, you have a stainless steel shell. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I, and people often make that, like that. I've heard comedians make the joke of, you know, when there's an airplane crash, they find the black box and it's fine. Why don't they make the whole airplane out of that? Ha ha ha. Because it'd be way too heavy. That's why. <laughs> yep. Uh, but that's not funny. No, I guess, I guess funny. if you stand up and you, and you talk back to a comedian who's doing observational humor and you explain in logical terms why the joke would not work, that makes it less funny, I suppose. Yeah, I would imagine that that would not endear you to your fellow, uh, you know, crowd members. Yeah, that, that explains why members. I'm no longer allowed in the chuckle hut. Yeah. So. <laughs> chuckle hut. Yeah. Uh, Do you like that? I just came up with it. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> another thing that these, uh, these black boxes have usually is an underwater locator beacon. Oh yeah. Well, that would be very, yeah, that would be very useful. Well, of course. Yeah. If you, if you do happen to have a, a, an emergency water landing or a crash, uh, you would need to have some way of being able to find this, this device underwater. And, uh, the way these systems work is they have a, um, a sensor that will detect, uh, if the black box goes underwater and then it activates a, um, a, a subsonic signal. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, an ultrasonic signal. So I should go the other way, not subsonic. Yes. Um, ultrasonic signal. And so you can't hear it, but it can be detected by, uh, well, detection equipment. So people searching around the area using the right equipment can locate it very quickly. Right. So it's a pitch so high that only underwater dogs can hear it. Right. May, it might affect the, the behavior of dolphins in the area, but other than that. Right. And uh, even despite that, of course, um, they can't always find some of the the black boxes. I mean, that happened in the case of that um, that crash 
in the ocean earlier, uh, summer of 2009. Right. Um, as far as I know, last I'd seen, they had, they'd given up looking for it because they were unable to find that signal. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are many things that could affect that. I mean, you're talking about like a, 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 the wreckage of a crash can spread over a very wide area. So that makes it difficult. Then, of course, you have things like currents and the depth of the water, the depth of the water. Exactly. Um, water is so, not exactly known for, uh, not distorting audio. Right. Yeah. So it might, depending on, on many different, uh, Factors you may or may not be able to find that very quickly. Yeah, but that's the whole purpose of it is to to try and facilitate that, make it a little easier so that the answers can can be found. To I mean, uh, anytime there's a, a crash, there's going to be lots of questions about exactly what happened. You know, was it human error? Was it mechanical error? Was it you know unexpected turbulence? All that kind of stuff. Everyone mm-hmm. wants to know. I mean, you know, it's, it's a very uh, traumatic experience. Um, Moving on to a, unless you have anything else about black boxes, I was going to move on to a different technology. No, I was going to say, you know, that's, you know, we've been talking about that. It's kind of a somber. Yeah, why don't you know, we, why don't we talk about something beat. else that's not, yeah. not so somber? That's so depressing. Um, this is, this isn't necessarily upbeat and chipper. It's just a neat technology. I was okay. going to talk about transponders. Okay. So, uh, transponder, uh, is a, well, the, the word transponder, it's kind of a combination of the words transmitter and responder. Oh, okay. That's a transponder. The idea is that it's a device that when you send a signal, it automatically sends a signal back. And uh, it was very useful during World War II because what they used uh, – the, the, the way the military used transponders was it was a way to identify planes as being allied planes. Mm-hmm. Clearly, I mean you wouldn't want to fire upon an allied uh, uh, airplane. That's a – Typically considered a bad tactic in warfare, as I understand it. Right, right. So you would not want to fire upon one of your own allies. You've got this transponder. You send a signal out. You get a signal back. You see that this is one of the uh, signals that um, signifies a a friend. You don't fire upon them. Now, in commercial jets, it's more of a way to identify the plane and make sure that you're uh, that they're on the right track. They're on the right flight path, um, and. Uh, so it's very useful for air traffic control. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to have to write a lot about transponders. One of my first jobs out of college was uh, I was uh, working for a, a particular airline, which I will not name. Mm-hmm. But um, I my job was to take really old sound files uh, that were descriptions of the various systems aboard their airplanes and transcribe them because they lost the hard copy scripts. So I got to listen all day <laughs> to sound files about things like the 747 and and write down everything about all their various systems. Wow. Yeah. That was uh, my job for about, well, a couple of months. <laughs> really? That long? Yeah. I'm impressed that you made it that long. Well, it was a temp job in the first place. It wasn't It wasn't a, um, a permanent assignment. But, okay. Uh, yeah, now, no, I know, I know more about the MD88 than I care to remember. Well, um, you know, actually transponders are very important because they, uh, they lead to some non-airplane airplane tech too. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because, They're not, I not mean, just used in aircraft. Well, that's, that's not exactly what I meant because part of, um, the tech used in flying a plane is based on the ground. Well, that's true too. <clears throat> because the the transponder is used by air traffic control, a very human piece of uh, <laughs> airplane tech uh, mm-hmm. to keep an eye on everything. And there um there's we have an article on um that I actually sort of uh you know, 
went through and uh, made some minor changes on not too long ago about mm. um, uh, the how the FAA works. It's kind of interesting because you realize that um, the FAA is tracking those planes pretty much everywhere they are using that transponder signal, mm. um, using the ground control equipment. And uh, basically, they subdivide the country into different sections. And with each individual, I mean, you know, that transponder code from that particular aircraft is unique to that plane. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a very important part of tech because at any given moment they're, they're, uh, aware of where that is. That's true. That's true. And of course we now also have the, um, the wonderful technology of GPS. Yep. And many planes have a, a GPS receiver that, so that the pilot can see very quickly, uh, exactly where the plane is. And, um, that's, Often a useful thing, especially in really bad flying conditions. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I was going to talk a little bit, and and the GPS also comes in handy if you happen to be sitting on one of those planes that has the monitor in the back of the seat in front of you, and you get want to track where your plane is. Yeah. It gives you the flight track information. I love that. And you're like, wow, we're directly over Tucson right now. <laughs> um. But I was also going to mention, uh, there's some other tech on, on planes that it's a little more recent that, uh, I thought I'd chat about the Wi-Fi that you can get on some planes now. Okay. I, I, I have a, an older piece of tech too. Uh-oh. So do you want to do that? I skipped ahead. No, 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 no. no, it's okay. If we're going chronologically, then I should skip back real quick. All right. Wait, wait. Shoot for it. Okay. One, two, three. Shoot. All right. All right. Chris won. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, yeah. ILS. Oh, all right. Um, the ILS system is, uh, basically tells a pilot, uh, where he or she is with regard to a runway. Um, it actually uses a combination of radio signals based around, um, the runway itself. And, uh, so maybe the runway is obscured by clouds. Mm-hmm. Um, it will, you know, use sort of, the, it uses a combination of, uh, altitude, well, the glide path. And oh, then gotcha, gotcha. also the, uh, you know, it's the, int- ah, excuse me. Instrument landing system is what ILS is short for. So mm. it basically is giving them a combination of, well, you are right here with regard to the runway. Uh, you should, you know, turn this way a little bit and you'll be lined up with the runway. So even if he or she can't see it, um, they know exactly where it is based on the signals generated from the ground. And, uh, you know, they coordinate that with, uh, where the plane is. So that's a that's very useful piece of definitely technology important. because if you've ever wondered, when you're coming into an airport and it's cloudy out and they make a perfect landing, that's how they're doing it. They're relying on that instrumentation yeah. to help them uh, help them find where they are. It's and also where the orientation really is. important whenever Johnny unplugs the lights on the <laughs> runway. That happens in so few circumstances yeah. that Just that's really kidding. not such a problem. Surely you can't be serious. Um, all right, so now we'll go on to the Wi-Fi. Okay. All right. So yeah, Johnny doesn't unplug the Wi-Fi. No, Johnny's on the ground. So, yeah, Wi-Fi on planes is is fairly recent. Um, it's something that had been discussed, uh, well, for a few years now, and and a couple of companies have been doing it for since about I guess around 2006. But in the United States, it's a little more recent than that, and um, it's a it's a pretty simple system. The there's some technology, there's uh, equipment that's put aboard the plane that turned it, turns it into a hotspot essentially. Mm-hmm. And your, uh, laptop or other device can connect wirelessly to this, uh, using typical Wi-Fi technology. Mm-hmm. And then 
the hardware on the plane actually sends that signal down to the ground to towers on the ground and communicates that way. And that's how you are getting access to uh, the Internet. So it's not like, you know, you're, you're not tapping into this magical Internet that's all around you in the air. Um, really, uh, the reason why you're able to do it is because the plane has a very spe- specific kind of a, a transceiver, really. It's a very, very long Ethernet cable. Yes. Right. There's, there's some poor schlub's job to just keep unwinding that cord. <laughs> and then another per, poor person's job to wind it all. No, it's not <laughs> wired. Oh, man. Uh, Talk uh, about the letters we would get from that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was that all with Wi-Fi? Yeah, that was all I had for Wi-Fi. It was just really – it's just interesting to me that it's, you know – Again, you're turning the, the plane itself into a hotspot. And depending on what airline you're on, you'll see that they have different, um, uh, different pricing plans for it. Um, some, some people found difficulty, um, people, some companies found difficulty implementing this and making it, uh, profitable. Um, I think Boeing did it briefly and then jumped out of it. You mean the connection? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think weren't they charging like thirty bucks a flight or something like that? I don't know about the price point, but I do know that they've done. They've washed their hands. Of yeah, it now. yeah. What happened was, uh, as I recall, the way it worked was they they were charging thirty bucks for per flight. Now, I don't know the necessarily um, scaled depending on the length of the flight, but because most people weren't willing to pay about as much as it costs to have Wi-Fi for a month at your house for a single flight, um, it ended up not making. Boeing very much money and they abandoned the, the project. But other, you know, like actual airlines have, have, uh, implemented this on their own. Yep. And, um, yeah, there are a couple companies that, that they partner with to do that. Yeah. Um, and they give you, uh, broadband speeds of, you know, slowish DSL. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's fast, but not really, really fast. Yeah. You know, most people I think will be using it to do things like check email. I mean, you might have a few folks who are, you know, Wanting to use it to, to use Hulu so they can avoid having to watch whatever the movie is on board the plane. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's only so many times you can watch Uncle Buck. <laughs> two, funny, by the way. Two funny. is the number of times. That would be a good segue into, uh, satellite TV though. Okay. Um, now, you know, a lot of air, uh, carriers now offer satellite radio and satellite TV. Um, and, um, they're, the signals are a little bit different. Satellite radio is not nearly as directional. Uh, so, you know, really it, it doesn't matter. The antenna position doesn't matter nearly as much as it does for a satellite TV. Uh, if you're a person that owns a satellite dish, uh, and it's in your yard and, you know, the neighbor's kid kicked a soccer ball into it and it looks like it's positioned right, but it threw your TV signal off, you know that satellite TV signals are a bit more directional. Well, you say, is there a little, you know, uh, William Shatner type Guy out on the wing repositioning that satellite dish. Uh, objection. William Shatner was inside the plane. Well, okay, okay. That's not it what was I a meant. gremlin. Sorry. Shall I, shall I restate? There's not a little, uh, you know, gremlin like William Shatner <laughs> saw through the window of the plane, um, out there repositioning the satellite dish. It actually uses, uh, for satellite TV on a plane, you actually have a, a specialized antenna that tracks the position of the satellite and automatically mm-hmm. corrects itself so that it can, uh, ma- maintain its line of sight to the satellite, um, and continue to receive satellite TV signals. That's um, pretty cool. It's kind of an, you know, considering the cost of, uh, a regular dish that they would put on the side of your house. It's considerably more expensive than that. Mm. Um, I don't know how much they are now. They used to range in thousands of dollars. Of course, you know, 
compared to the cost of an entire plane, that's nothing. Yeah, it's peanuts. Um, Not literally peanuts. Those are actually cheaper. Right. Well, you know, and may cause allergies. Yes. Um, May contain nuts. Right. Um, But, uh, you know, that's kind of an interesting technology, too, because it has to – it can't just – it's not like a, you know – a terrestrial antenna where you just, you know, stick a thing on top of the, the car and it goes. You actually right. have to pay attention to where the satellite is. So sure. it, yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of a neat little gimmick. Cool. Well, do you have anything else? Any more airplane tech you want to talk uh, about? No, not no? really. All right. Well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm all tapped out. Okay. So, uh, like we said, this is just a, another kind of Overview, because there's plenty more that we could talk about, but not not more that we're prepared to talk about. Yeah, sort of a high level, maybe thirty five thousand feet. Yeah, sort of it's right around there. Approach. There might be some turbulence. We'll 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 descend to maybe you know twenty eight thousand if that happens. <laughs> this has been a turbulent podcast. So yes. with that, let's uh, let's just go ahead and move on to a listener mail. All right then. And this listener mail comes from Matt. And uh, I cut out a lot of Matt's email, but I've got the crux of it here. Matt says, Hey, Chris and Jonathan, I was wondering what the difference is between virus protection and Internet security. Do I need Internet security or just antivirus? What makes inter- Internet security cost so much more? Some people also say that I should have a program specifically for spyware removal along with my virus protection or whatever. Is this true? Sincerely, Matt. Now, what Matt was referring to were some specific products that are on the market for antivirus and Internet security. Um, so, Matt, here's kind of uh, what all that means. Now, an antivirus program in general specifically is designed to search out any signs of viruses on your computer. And often other kinds of malware, too. Right. Trojans so worms, and worms, Trojans, that kind of thing. Yeah, pretty yeah. much a malware detection program is what that is. And uh, most antivirus, if it's if it just says antivirus, that's really what it does. It goes after malware. Uh, anti-spyware, that's looking specifically for any sort of uh, tracking software that's being put on your computer. Basically, anything that's going to phone home with information about you, uh, anywhere from your uh, passwords and uh, you know personal information like that to you know marketing. Right. Type spyware, where it's just saying, yeah, you know, he's visiting 253 websites and these are what they are. Right. Yeah. He, he's really interested in shoes. So you should send him targeted marketing. Yeah. That kind of stuff. I mean, that's not nearly as annoying as uh, some of the other stuff, but it is annoying. Right. Yeah. It's, it's pretty irritating. And so, uh, again, if it just says anti spyware, that's pretty much all it's looking for. Uh, Internet security packages tend to have all of that wrapped up into one um, product. And so, often have a firewall in, right, in there, too. A firewall as well. So you'll have a firewall, which can protect against intrusions from uh, from outside your, your network. You'll have the antivirus, you'll have the anti-spyware. So that's why it's more expensive. It's because it's actually packaging together lots of stuff. Now, there are lots of... Um, Lots of uh, uh, products on the market. Some of them are actually free. So really what I suggest is research these different products. Find the one that's right for you. We don't really review products, and uh, we don't really feel feel comfortable making a recommendation, um, especially since we don't necessarily know what kind of machine you're running. Uh, some of the – got to also keep in mind that anti-spyware and antivirus technology, while it is scanning, they tend to be really um, – Invasive. 
Well, and for they, one thing, they because be, they're tracking everything that's going on in an attempt to protect you. Yeah, and that can slow your computer down as yeah, a result. Yes, exactly. They're resource hogs, is yeah. what they really are. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're very important to have, but sure. they're gonna they're gonna slow your computer down while they're running. Um, now they'll just run in order to scan, and once they've scanned, you should be all right. Now a lot of them have kind of ongoing software that'll continue to monitor traffic as you are using your computer. Um, yeah, like it might check your email uh, attachments as they're downloaded to your computer and go, hey, this one's not good. Right. Don't open that. Yeah. Um, so but, yeah, just keep in mind it will. These are very resource heavy. It's not something you don't want to co- constantly be scanning your computer. It's just going to it'll make take forever to do anything else. Yep. And uh, also remember to keep it up to date. No matter what oh, software yeah. you choose, um, make sure that you are if, – if it has an option to update automatically, I strongly suggest you activate it. Yeah, there's a new trend too, um, cloud security, uh, where uh, basically the software is – there's like a little client in your computer and it's basically constantly updating with uh, virus definitions from uh, the cloud. Right. The bulk of the, the software is actually in um, – on – a computer somewhere else on the internet. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of cool. Um, but you know, it's still very new. So I haven't heard a whole lot about how they're doing. Right. Now, obviously that the reason why updating, of course, is so important is that pe- hackers are always working on new kinds of viruses and malware. Yeah. They, they, uh, they take old viruses and add a twist to them so that the old, uh, virus protection software can't recognize them anymore. Right. So that's why you want to make sure you keep it up to date because as uh, the security firms find out about them, they add definitions to their software so that it can be detected and prevented. So hopefully that answers your question, Matt. Um, uh, thank you very much for writing in. Uh, I thought I'd tell our listeners uh, there's an interesting new way you can you can catch our podcast now. Oh, you can yeah. actually catch it from the HowStuffWorks.com website. So if you go to HowStuffWorks.com, you go to the little search bar and you type in Tech Stuff, it'll take you to the Tech Stuff podcast page. And we have a little player, an individual player, that you can listen to episodes right there if you want to. It also has uh, nice options for sharing it via email or Twitter, Facebook. Um, it's got a little option where you can pop the player out of the web page and have it be a little independent player on, on the side. A lot of neat features. And, uh, so just want to let you guys be, you know, make you guys aware of that in case you're ever on a different computer and you don't have your iTunes account set up or something like that. Um, you can still listen to us. Please, please listen to us. <laughs> We're lonely. <laughs> And if you have anything you want to say to us, you can send us an email. Our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And you can learn all about airplanes and technology and computer viruses and security all at howstuffworks.com. Crispy and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?